Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. It's where we will begin uh, in this part of our worship. It is good to see you. I want to uh, express my gratitude for you being here. I want to say thank you to Brent, who uh, filled in for me last week when I was gone, and I appreciate that. I also, uh, kind of a programming note, uh, obviously this is our first time to have the uh, assembly time back for us. Uh, I will be speaking in this hour and also in the next hour, uh, because next week I am going to be gone and Brent will be preaching. Uh, next week I'm going to be the uh, West Side Church in Irving, Texas has invited me to come because they are uh, beginning their yearly Bible reading and they have decided to do the uh, Year with Jesus gospel schedule that we did a few years back. And so they wanted me to come and introduce them to that reading schedule and what we did and, and the things that we found successful in that. And so I'm going to go do that next Sunday, Lord willing. I, I'm excited about that. I think it is a high compliment to this group. Uh, that other groups are noticing the things that we are doing and uh, interested in them. And uh, so that is a compliment to this group. But uh, it is also just an exciting thing to me to, to know that other congregations are doing a congregational reading and that uh, we're able to kind of do that in our own way. And I'll talk more about our reading and our schedule for uh, 2021 in, uh, in the worship hour. But I wanted to let you know about that. And so uh, please be praying about that and uh, looking forward to that. 1 Peter 2, I want to begin just by reading here these first three verses. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter likens Christians to newborn infants there in verse 2, who need to grow. And this is a very common expression in the New Testament, the idea of Christians needing to grow spiritually. But I don't know about you, I have a problem with this. This is hard for me. How do you measure spiritual growth? If physical growth is easy. You get on the scale, you get out the ruler, you, know, you compare, you measure, you have a clear number. But spiritual growth has some subjectivity to it. How do you know when you have grown from who you used to be? Spiritual growth is not always visible, but it's also something that time doesn't always tell you about. Sometimes we will think that time is a good measure. You know, we'll say things like, older people are wiser. And that's certainly true, but it may be that older people are just older foolish people that never got any wiser. And just because they are older doesn't mean they're wise. So there's not exactly a correlation between time and wisdom. In the same way, just because we've been a Christian for a long time doesn't mean we've been growing. And it doesn't mean we're any further along than when we began. So time is not a reliable measure either. So I want to ask that question. How can I tell if I'm growing? And before we answer that, I want to answer a related question, which is why does that even matter? Why do we care if we're growing? I mean, after all, we're already saved by the blood of Jesus. And very often, it seems to me, we get locked into the mindset of, well, if it won't get me kicked out of heaven, does it really matter? Do I really need to grow? Well, I want to express the fact that growth is important to us, and growth is God's expectation for us. For one, God has more to show us. He has more to do with us and to do through us, but it will demand that we not stay where we are. We're going to have to grow. When we fail to grow, it hurts our witness. What other people see from us and learn from us 
it shows others that there's no real change. If you follow Jesus, you're basically going to be the same person you always were. There's no change. There's no difference. Immature character causes problems for us, problems for those close to us, problems for those who observe our lives. And so we're going to be frustrated if we fail to grow. Immature behavior and immature thinking causes problems for a local church. When we're in a local church and we have relationships with people and we're not where we should be, then we're only going to cause trouble. Perhaps most of all, we can get awfully discouraged when we get into character ruts. There is a passage that I've been thinking on this week. It's from the book of Deuteronomy, and it is Moses' description of how God said, you guys need to move on from Mount Sinai. But in Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 2, he says, you have circled this mountain long enough. And it was several years ago, a brother told me, sometimes that's the way we are. We're just circling a mountain. And year after year, week after week, day after day, that's all we do. We just do the same things over and over again. We stay in the same places. We stay in the same ruts of character, ruts of thinking over and over again. And God says, you know, enough. Let's move on. God's going to take the people to a new place. It's going to be harder. There's going to be more challenges. And yet they're done circling the mountain. God wants better for us. But I would say most importantly, if we're going to ask the question, why should we grow? You just talk to someone who has definitively rejected the Lord, fallen away from Jesus. And you start doing the postmortem on that. Well, how did this happen? And what you will find is months and years of failing to grow. Lack of interest, lack of pursuit of spiritual things, lack of work on character, and eventually some temptation comes, some problem comes, and it is just the straw that broke the camel's back. We don't want to be in that position. We need to be growing. So the question is, how can I tell how I'm doing spiritually? And I want to give you some questions that we can ask ourselves to help measure our growth. The first is this. Am I putting away evil? So 1 Peter 2 and verse 1 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. There are some attitudes and behaviors that need to be removed. And that might sound like a simple one-time process, but I liken it a little more to weeding a flower bed. You can weed a flower bed one time and you can do a really good job, but your work is not done because it won't be long and you'll need to weed the flower bed again. And again, and again, and again, removing evil, putting away evil is a long-term challenge for us. The things that are listed here, just look at them. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. These are deeply ingrained ways of thinking and acting. If we put away malice, what that means is not only do we stop hating the people who have hurt us in the past, who we have some grudge or beef with, but then the next time someone upsets us, We have to put away malice again in that new situation. And then the next time and the next time we have to keep a watch on our heart with regard to malice. We keep going. Putting away deceit, as he talks about in verse 1, means, yes, cleaning up past lies and mending all the problems that we caused with our deceit in the past. But it also means avoiding lying and cleaning up the lies I say now and in the future. So there is an ongoing commitment. I need to keep putting away my sin. Each one of us has our unique blend of spiritual weaknesses and sins and struggles. 
And we know about those things, and the people close to us know about those things. And in fact, many times, that's the reason we came to Christ in the first place. It's because we know we're not what we should be in certain areas. So the question then becomes, am I putting away the evil that has been a part of me? Verse 2. Verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. See, there are things that are pure and that will help us grow, but there are also things that are damaging and poisonous to our spirits. So if we're going to grow, we begin with putting away evil and then continue to pursuing the things that are pure spiritual milk. So I can tell if I'm growing, if I'm still struggling in the same ways with the same sins I struggled with before I became, came to Christ. Am I comparing well to who I used to be. I can tell if I'm growing by seeing how I respond when I discover there is sin in my life. What do I do if I see I've messed up? Do I go and own that sin? Do I confess it to someone? Do I try to repair the damage I've done? Or do I act like it's not a big deal? The danger here is especially that we will begin to think that because we're Christians and we are forgiven, that suddenly sin is just not that big a deal. I mean, after all, grace God loves us. Jesus died for us. Okay, so when I sin, okay, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, sure. But I mean, everything's fine. How am I responding to my sin? Am I putting away evil? This is a growth measure. And growth means that we should be making some progress in those battles with sin. We may still be tempted in those areas. In fact, we may occasionally give in in those areas. But growth means that we're stronger in dealing with them. We're swifter in getting right with God again. We are in an advanced place. Am I putting away evil is a way I can tell that I'm growing. Second, is my progress evident to other people? Look in 1 Timothy chapter 4 with me. 1 Timothy chapter 4, because growth is so hard to see in ourselves, it's important to enlist the opinions of other people whose judgment we trust. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Sometimes it's hard. I was talking to my kids about this because they can't tell that they're getting bigger until they reach certain milestones, like Luke's almost as tall as Sarah. So, you know, that's something that you can really tell. But when you're in the moment, you don't see growth in yourself, but other people notice it. Other people see you. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. Let no one despise you, Paul tells Timothy, for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public teaching of script, public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So as a young preacher, Paul says first in verse 12, you set an example for the believers. Don't let anybody despise your youth. This is, you are showing them how a Christian should love and should speak and should behave. You show them, you set them an example. Verse 13, he says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Focus on this. Then verse 14, don't neglect the gift you have. Not really clear what Timothy's gift was. This may be a spiritual gift. This may be a speaking gift. But in some way, Timothy has to fan the flame of his gift, has to use his gift in the way God intended for him to use it. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them 
so that all may see your progress. I was just fascinated by these words. I looked up in several versions. Uh, the New American Standard says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. The New King James says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Do you hear it? There is intense work that Paul expects Timothy to do. And then when you do that, he says in verse 15, that all may see your progress. See, when we work hard like this in the word of God, when we are becoming a different person, remade from the inside out because God is at work in us through his word, everyone can tell. How can I tell if I'm growing? Listen to your brothers. What are they saying? What do they see? So I can tell when I'm growing when my brethren point out to me that I am growing. This is one of the reasons that genuine encouragement is so important. Now I say genuine because sometimes encouragement is not really genuine. We're trying to say something nice to someone because we want to be nice. But we're not as concerned whether it's actually true. I have heard brethren tell some whoppers especially to young preachers. Now their hearts are in the right place. They're trying to encourage a young man who's trying to preach. But sometimes it's not really true. And let me just say this. Even if our heart's in the right place, it doesn't help if encouragement is not genuine. Now, sometimes we need to be able to say, this is what's true, even if it's not encouraging. But genuine encouragement is a huge blessing because genuine encouragement is when someone says, I see something in you that it may be hard for that person to see on their own. I see your progress. I see you are growing. We can't always tell when we're growing and maturing, but other people can see it. We can't always see when we're calmer or wiser or more disciplined or more dependable and our brethren can see it. They can help us. Now, sometimes I have struggled with how to take people's encouragement. So I may take it in the worst way. I've had people tell me, oh, I had been preaching five or six years. Someday you'll make a preacher. And I always take that in the worst way. When what I really could hear is, you're growing. Or someone would say, you know, you're so much better than you used to be. Which, you know, you can take that in whichever way you want. You can take it as, boy... I really hated it when you first started, but now, now you're tolerable. And I've always struggled with, you know, how do you take that? Sometimes I hear my own insecurity. You know, I could hear, I could say something like, oh, I'm not really. Or I could say, well, if you only knew. Sometimes it's hard for us to take genuine encouragement. But I think the, the real key that God is saying here through Paul to Timothy is that other people can see us. And when they see something good, they see something that we can say Something's happening here. I know my brother wouldn't lie to me about this. So I know something's happening. God is at work. I can praise God for that. I can tell I'm growing. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. The third way we can see that we're growing is if we ask the question, am I using my time better? Am I using my time better? Hebrews 5 and verse 11 Now, the Hebrew writer interrupts himself in the course of his argument. He wants to talk about Melchizedek, but he says in verse 11, about this, Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So there's a criticism here. You guys haven't grown like you should. And because of that, I'm having a hard time talking to you. We'll talk more about that in a minute. I want you to notice in verse 12, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. So you've had enough time to have grown to a different point than where you are. But instead, you need to go back to school. Instead of teaching, you need to be taught again. So clearly, there are some expectations that come with time. We are patient with people. We understand that people grow at different rates and in different ways. And so we would not say when a new convert comes, we would not say, hey, congratulations on your baptism. Next week, you're teaching Revelation. Okay, we would say, well, let's give them some time. They need some time. But doesn't there come a point where you say, man, how much time do they need? And we begin to wonder, well, I guess this is all the growth they're going to do. This is just where they're going to sit. This is just who they're going to be. So there is an expectation that time would be used in a certain way to grow. In verse 14, he says, but solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So maturity, he says, is about developing discernment over time, constant practice. We are working, we're pushing in the same direction so that over time something happens, something develops, growth takes place. So when we, like these Hebrew Christians, fail to use our time in Christ wisely, our growth is stunted. Now, I'm not really talking about, you know, how do you use your, your hours in your day? Although I think you could probably make a strong argument that how we use the hours in our day contributes to how we use time over a long period of time. But what the Hebrew writer is saying is, look at the block of time you've had in Christ. And what have you done with it? Why aren't you up here? Why are you still back here? Jesus says something similar. Jesus, aware of this, this is the time when they don't bring bread on the trip and they're worried because Jesus says something about leaven. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And I've underlined the word yet, because yet is a time word. Don't you get this yet? It's one thing to not get it in the beginning, but it's another thing when Jesus says, you've been with me for a long time. You've seen me do a lot of stuff. You've heard me teach a lot of lessons. Why haven't you grown? Why don't you understand? Are your hearts hardened? Jesus is worried they are behind schedule. So Paul, by the way, says something very similar when he says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, even now, you're still not ready. You still can't understand me. Even now, after all this time, you should be farther away, than, uh, farther along than you are. I imagine that most of us can look back on our time in Christ and say we have some regret about time wasted. I think all of us can say, you know, there are, there are periods of time, I don't know what I was doing. There are times that we, we've sat through a, a, an assembly, a service like this, right? And uh, we, didn't, we don't remember anything about it. Our hearts weren't in the worship. We didn't pay attention to the, the study. We weren't really reading. We weren't really focused. And we can look back maybe on whole years of our lives where we say, you know, I just kind of coasted. This is the question. Is that still happening? 
Am I using my time any better? My time in Christ, my opportunity to grow day after day, week after week, month after month, time that is a gift from God so that I can be a better disciple. Am I doing anything more with that? How am I being a better disciple today than I was yesterday? How am I challenging myself right now? How am I expanding? How am I working on my character? How am I serving other people? Just remember, God has expectations of the time he has given us. Am I using my time better than I once did? That is a growth marker. How can I tell if I'm growing? The fourth thing is, do I understand deeper spiritual truths? Now, the reason this all comes up in Hebrews chapter 5 is because he wants to talk about Melchizedek and the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And in several contexts, it was impressive to me as I studied this, in several contexts, the reason failing to grow matters is because there are teachers who are trying to teach and their students can't hear them because they are not where they should be spiritually. They have failed to grow. So Hebrews 5 and verse 11, he says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. He says, you can't grasp what I have to say. You're not on the wavelength with me. I've got things that are going to really change you, but you can't handle them because you need the basics again. You need milk and not the meat. And he explains what he means. Look in chapter 6 and verse 1, Hebrews 6 and verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So he says, these are the elementary things, the foundational things. And you should be able to have that foundation and then move on to deeper things, higher things, better things. But he says, no, you need somebody to teach you again the basics. You need to go back to the milk because you haven't grown as you should. You are not on my wavelength. One sign that we are not growing as we should is that we are unable to handle deeper spiritual things. We're not where we should be. Just like a child is not intended to live on milk their entire life, they graduate to higher food. So God doesn't intend for Christians to live only on the surface truths of the gospel. We don't live on first principles. They're first principles because they come first and then we move forward. We press on to maturity. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul has been correcting the Corinthian church because of their problem of divisions, and they are dividing, and there's jealousy, and there are problems within the group. But here he expresses his frustration. I can't even correct you correctly because you haven't grown. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. Notice the, the time element again. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? I can't talk to you like spiritual people. He says, I, I got to use one syllable words with you guys. We got to talk in baby talk. Because you're not where you should be. Now that, that is a rebuke. 
And he is saying, you can't handle the spiritual truth. Well, how do you know, Paul? He says that specifically in verse 3. While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So their behavior shows their immaturity. And because their behavior shows that they're immature, Paul says, I can't even bother reasoning with you like you're mature. Because you're showing me that you are not where you should be. So there is a deep connection here, and I want you to hear me. When we live fleshly, we cannot understand spiritually. It won't work. Our behavior shallows out our thinking. And so Paul says, what am I supposed to do? I can't even correct your behavior because you're acting like carnal people. I have to address you like babies, spiritual babies that you are. Go with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark 8, we alluded to this passage a minute ago. I want to look at it a little more fully. Mark chapter 8. Mark 8 and verse 14 says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had, they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke up the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? By the way, I picture them mumbling those answers when he says, how many baskets? They say, 12. They get it. Jesus is frustrated because they're not growing. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But beware of their leaven. And they're thinking about bread. Oh, he's getting on to us. In his strange Jesus way, because we forgot the bread. Oh, we always do this. I'm so embarrassed. Jesus says, how long do you have to be with me before you get to my spiritual level? I'm not worried about bread. Hey, remember the times I made bread? Remember? How many baskets? How, much, you know, how many times do I have to do something like this for you before you get to my wavelength? Do you understand what Jesus is doing? He is saying, you're not deep enough for me. And I'm frustrated because how long do you have to be with me before you get to my level? Here is what I think we need to think about when we think about growth. What is my attitude toward the Bible? Do I feel familiar with it? Am I willing and able to study the Bible on my own for myself? Do I feel like the Bible is a locked book or some parts of it are locked? Does it feel like the Bible is not relevant to my life? These are signs that we have not been growing. How do I feel when deeper spiritual food is offered? You know, do we just feel like there are just certain parts of the Bible that we just say, you know what, I have no interest in that. I don't care what God was saying there. It's obscure. It's weird. I'm just going to go to the places that I know I get and I get something out of. Deeper spiritual truths are a mark of maturity in Scripture. Do I have spiritual eyes to see what God is saying in Scripture? 
And do I have spiritual eyes to see how that connects to things in my world? Can I reason through spiritual matters? Or am I just circling the same mountain in my understanding, just over and over again, just circling that mountain? Up oh, there's that, like that. Up oh, there's that passage, I know that one. Circle, circle, circle. Or am I growing? I am especially impressed with the fact that Bible authors expect more than an encyclopedic knowledge of the facts of the Bible. That's not what these authors are talking about, is it? It's not, hey, you need to learn more things, more facts about Solomon and about the genealogies. No, they're saying, how is it that you've been so long and you don't really understand it? They're expecting us to grow in our understanding and our grasp and then in our character and behavior. So the question is, where am I on that scale? How do I measure up in terms of deeper spiritual truths? Let's go to Ephesians 4. I want to talk about one last area that we can talk about growth, and it is the most important one. That is just the simple question, am I more like Jesus? It's going to be intimidating for us to ask that question, right? But we have to say that if growing into Christ is the goal, then he is also the measuring stick. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The direction of our growth is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is when we are truly mature. Growth is always into a Jesus direction. Always. It is startling to me when I study this how widespread the apostolic expectation is that Christians in the New Testament era are going to internalize Jesus' example and then live it out in every kind of situation. They are going to be like Jesus in the way they treat people and respond to situations. They are going to be more like Jesus on a regular basis. Philippians 2, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He goes on to talk about how Jesus left heaven and how he lowered himself and emptied himself. That idea that you would treat other people naturally reflecting the attitude of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So when somebody is in need, we immediately act the way Jesus acted. What did Jesus do? He became poor so that others could be rich. So we become poor. We even impoverish ourselves to help other people and to bless them. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus suffered. So when suffering approaches us, when we have suffering on our menu, we follow because Jesus showed us the way. So in every situation, the apostles ask and teach others to ask, what would Jesus do? If I understand the spirit of Jesus, then I'm going to respond in different ways in these situations. I will be more like him. So when we learn that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, what we're really saying is following the Spirit makes me more like Jesus. That is growth. More like Jesus means I have more patience with people. 
It means I tell the truth and I attempt to bring people to God. It means I show compassion. It means I'm in control of myself. It means I rejoice in God. It means I'm true to my word. It means I'm kind. And while I'm never going to be fully like Jesus in this life, I can be more like him today than I was yesterday. And so I'm ready to give to sacrifice. I'm ready to give because he has given to me. I'm ready to suffer with him. And so in a million different situations, we show this is what Jesus looks like in my life. This is what Jesus looks like in my marriage. This is what Jesus looks like stuck in traffic. This is what Jesus looks like when he's in the doctor's office. He's having to wait a long time. What does Jesus look like? In all the everyday situations we are in, I become more like Jesus and reflect that. I want to say this, and I know I'm a little over time. It is a grave concern to me that many Christians go to church for years and years and years, and they memorize parts of the Bible, and they sing all the songs, and yet they are nothing like Jesus. They have no grace for other people. They're ugly and harsh. They constantly criticize They constantly relive their past hurts. They think they know it all. They are obnoxious and divisive. And I have respect for my brothers who have been serving the Lord longer than I have. I have been blessed to receive much good from them. And I've been blessed that I have not been hurt as much or as deeply as many other people. I know the appeal of bitterness. I struggle with my pride. But having said all of that and admitted that I am not perfect We have to ask, if we're not any more like Jesus, what are we doing? What's the point? How can that be discipleship? Can it be that we can diagram all the stories of Jesus, all the parables, all the miracles, that we can reconcile the four gospels, we can explain all his teachings, but we forget the part where we're transformed into his character? How can that be discipleship? Sure seems to me like we're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Jesus is the goal. The more I am like Jesus, the more I am growing. And growth will always be ultimately measured by that standard. So how can I tell if I'm growing? These are some areas I think we can look at. Am I putting away evil? Is my progress evident to others? Am I using my time better? Do I understand deeper things? But most of all, am I more like Jesus? I want to ask, how do you look? We're at the, the start of a new year. There is a lot of freshness and reevaluation. It might be a time for us to say, something needs to change. Something needs to be more serious for me. I need to get busy growing. Thanks for your attention.